On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we conclude our conversation, the intersection of faith and health at end of life, between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Hospice Chaplain, Tim Fagan. When we last left them, Tim and Trent were discussing the Ministry of Presence and what it looks like to pursue peace and acceptance at end of life. As we pick up the conversation today, we'll listen in as they continue to unpack the why questions revolving around spirituality common to patients and their families at end of life. Let's rejoin the conversation. When when I think about finding peace and acceptance, you know, it is it is as we've discussed already, it is an evolution and I suspect mm-hmm. that it we've talked a bit about bargaining and acceptance and it begins I suspect um, with likely a series of questions oftentimes that are likely very rooted in spirituality if not faith mm-hmm. tradition which is, you know, why is this happening to me? The why questions, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Why am I suffering? Um, and, you know, how as, I mean, th- does that manifest because of the fear of the unknown? Does it manifest because of just this reckoning between I am a mortal who, you know, am, am, am going to, not exist anymore for my family. I mean, what, 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 what's that wrapped up in? I suspect it's a lot of things, but just in a, in a brief, you know, sort of encapsulation, what do you, what do you, what is that related to? Um, Well, I think one of the things is, is the, the concept of, of annihilations. A lot of people don't believe there's going to be a life after death. And, and to, to think that I'm this conscious sentient being and I'm not going to be here, and I'm not going to think, and I'm not going to exist. Is is can be very frightening for people, uh, for people of faith traditions. Um, most of them involve uh, life after this life, and and the hope that uh, that it's going to be good, it's going to be much better. Um, but the why questions, I think that's just part of uh, number one. It's part of human reality to start with but more so in the Western world. You, you get over in other parts of the world, people come to expect hardship. They come to expect tragedy. It's, it's, just, mm. it's a normal thing for them. Right. For us over here, we, we've, we tend to dodge a lot of bullets here. And so when bad things do happen to us, we want to know why. We want, and, and sometimes that's rooted in fear. Sometimes it's rooted in a perception that God's punishing me for something that I did. Um, and, and that might be, I have no idea what it is, or it might be, I know what I did and God's, God's going to take me down because of it. Um, you, you, if you sense that there's a guilt issue, you want to ask questions and try to get it to the surface because many people feel guilty, but because they tend to, to take ownerships of, of responsibility that's not theirs and they feel guilty about stuff that they had no control over. Some people feel guilty because they could never live up to their parents' expectations or had emotionally unavailable parents or, or you know, those kinds of things. And, and, sure. and since they never felt approved of, they'll go through their lives being overachievers, trying to find approval of themselves. 
but uh, you, you have to, to rule out invalid guilt. And, and if there is a real issue, then try to help them to, to bring it out and, and look at it and, and uh, understand that there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is, there is you know, love to be had in spite of the things we've done. Um, other issues, you know, again, is folks that believe that, that they're going to be healed. And I've had people that, that went to their death determined and to believe because they felt like that if they uh, gave voice to the realization that I'm not going to make it, that, um, you know, that's, that's a lack of faith. So you, you have to try to rule, you know, get through the layers and see what the sure. issue is. You know, one of the things that you touched on here, I think we, we started that actually that piece of the discussion. Um, you mentioned being a sentient being. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we are both sentient beings and we exist in multiple dimensions. You know, sure. we, we are all onions, right? Um, right. We all have multiple layers. Um, we are we are more than uh, just um uh, the face that we that we see, um, we have feelings, we have thoughts, um, as we've explored already. Um, but you know, those thoughts also affect, and feelings affect the rest of the family. And at end of life, you know, families are really concentrated on a variety of different things, a multitude of things. They're concentrated on caring for their loved one. They're concentrated on reconciling their lives. They're concentrated, whether they know it or not, on this, this, this you know, seeking of spiritual wholeness. Um, perhaps they are, um, but they're also having a lot of hard conversations um, and talking about feelings. And as a chaplain, you kind of have a responsibility to help make a way through that. I think we've had a term, a way maker, and you're a way maker too, just for the, for the, for the patient, but also for the family. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your experience is? Yes. Um, one of the things that, that I have to do is to help people find permission to really have open conversations because the patient's trying to protect the family. The family's trying to protect the patient. You, oh. uh, sometimes the patient's trying to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here much longer. And the family's saying, nonsense, quit talking like that. You're, you're looking better every day, daddy. And so, as I said before, uh, being very seriously ill is a very lonely experience. And if I can't have open communication with the people that I love the most, that just compounds my loneliness. So, what I do is to, to try to uh, ask very pointed questions, you know, in, in a gentle way, but getting to the heart of the issues and do that not only to help the patient, the family speak, but also to model what is appropriate in terms of conversation. You know, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't ever let mom see me cry, you know, that kind of thing. Well, maybe mom needs to cry and she needs to cry with you. And, and so you try to help people get to the point where they can have those conversations. And, and sometimes you're talking separately with a patient and separately with a family and, and you just kind of hope for the best. But um, I, I, I think what I see, if I've done that effectively, their, their communication is going to improve. And uh, so in that level or that aspect of anxiety, 
uh, gets a little bit better. They, they, you know, then it's not so many unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns. Right. Those things are cleared up. You just help normalize it, right? Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You just help normalize it and help clear the air so that everybody's protectionistic nature of everybody else sort of comes to the center um, and is maybe out in the open for lack of a better way to describe right. it. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, as I've listened, you know, as I've sort of had the opportunity to pr participate in this conversation with you and, and have conversations with, with other faith leaders um, across our entire community, um, you know, I'm really drawn to this notion. And we talked a little bit about this just a, just a bit ago that your health really is not born out of your spirituality in terms of your physical health. Right. Right. But, but your spiritual well-being is a direct result of your physical health, your emotional health mm -hmm. and your spiritual health. Right. right? That's correct. I mean, and, and it's so interesting to me that these so two very different sentiments can work together in a symbiotic way at all. Very true. It's just fascinating. Um, I, I think that um, if a person has a, a spirituality or a faith that they can sense in a sense articulate or they can feel that they're they're fully involved in it i think it does uh, help to alleviate some of your suffering because a lot of our suffering is is on a soul level in in the sense that you know if you're dealing with constant pain if you can't sleep at night because of the pain you you get to the point where you dread going to sleep at night and, and sometimes you need something uh of, of a sedative nature or something to, to take the edge off your anxiety. And it's not to say that, that having faith prevents you from having these things, but sometimes in the midst of, of really intense suffering, it's very easy to lose sight of, of what gives your life meaning and, and the confidence that you will be whole at, at some point, you know. So um, interesting that we find our way back to this yes. this consideration, right? Right. Because right. um, that seems to be sort of where it all uh, begins with not being whole, and then ends with finding a wholeness and acceptance, mm -hmm. and ultimately peace and comfort. Right. You know, one of the things you mentioned a, a bit ago. Um, I want to go back to to talking. Uh, you you actually used the 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 phrase empowering the care the caregiver. Right. And one of the things that I think we cannot um, overemphasize is that caregivers struggle tremendously. You know, we, we are working with individuals across our entire community um, spanning eight counties that right. are, you know, they're not, they're not clinically trained. Um, no. They're not nurses. They're not doctors. They're not, you know, they're, they're just normal everyday people and they find themselves being thrust into this 
position of caring for someone, which, you know, is a, is a difficult prospect in and of itself. It is. Whether, whether, whether they're well or whether, and well being a, a, a relative term, but whether they're well or whether they're, you know, at, at the end of their life. Um, and, you know, that empowerment and that belief in the other person, because mm-hmm. that's, I think, what empowerment is, it seems to me that it is just as important as a belief and a higher power when it comes to establishing the complex constructs of spirituality. It's very, very important. Um, and, and I think part of what I do in, in these environments is to, to help the caregivers see that, number one, you don't get a, a training round for this. You don't get a <laughs> practice round. And it, it is indeed thrust upon you. You're thrown into the deep end of the pool and you feel like you're going to drown. And so I, I have to acknowledge right up front that caregiving is very, very difficult. It's tiring and taxing. It, it wipes you out spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. And um, you, you've just said in that mouthful something that the, pay, that the caregiver rather feels but, but would feel guilty if they said it out loud. And nice. help them understand that, yeah, you're going through a major struggle and it's going to be hard. And, and there are going to be times when you're going to really maybe be ticked off that you're, you've been put under this circumstance or, or feel afraid that you're not going to be able to, to pull it off or do what you're supposed to do to assure these folks that they're going to have the grace and, and the gifts and, and the power, the ability to do whatever they're called upon. And no matter how big it looks or how scary it looks, they're going to be able to do it. And uh, to know that they have the support, not only of the, the, the typical, the traditional clinicians like nurses and social workers and, and uh, CNAs, but also ch- the chaplain and, mm-hmm. and their own pastors or faith leaders, um, to, that the attention not, is not just going to be focused on the patient, but we're there to support the families as they're going through this because they are they're going through a major shift in their lives. And, and it's even, even too much change, even if it's for the better is disorienting, but, but when it's not for the better, when it's, when it's filled with uh, sadness, sorrow, fear, apprehension, it's, it's very disorienting to people. Sure. Uh, and, and I suspect, you know, to, 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 touch on something that you made mention of earlier, you used the word existential pain. And that's something that we've talked briefly about, not, not in this discussion with you, but I know with other guests. And I think that is something that is so misunderstood. Um, And could you just talk a little bit about what existential, what existential pain actually is and what it looks like and, you know, how we as a hospice care team, um, or how you all as a hospice care team and we as an organization sort of work to, uh, to alleviate or minimize um, that, uh, that consideration. Existential pain, it's not a term that you hear very often, um, and perhaps because uh, people shied away from it and associated with existentialism, which is a philosophical um, 
structure. But existential pain, it's bigger than your physical pain, your spiritual pain. It, it's, it's being overwhelmed by a circumstance or a situation or a series of experiences that, that feel like they're threatening your very existence to all the way down to your spirit soul. Um, it's a pain that's too difficult to express in words because it, it's too difficult to understand. You know, you're, you're feeling something that is beyond your ability to even articulate. And so part of what we do is to help people kind of understand what they're feeling, not, not that we're going to tell them what they're supposed to be feeling or make any assumptions, but, you know, you, you may be feeling like that um, this is just going to completely take you, uh, not just out of this world physically, but it's going to wipe you out all the way down to your very existence. And it's an overwhelming sense of overwhelm, I guess. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. And it, it's, it's sometimes accompanied by a sense of hopelessness and helplessness, feeling like that the, there is no remedy for this the sorrow the, the the fear the apprehension that i'm feeling and um, so as, as you're asking people questions and, and they say things that if you're listening for what they're feeling you, you you bring that back to them it sounds like you're really feeling overwhelmed and afraid oh yes i am if, if they know that you're hearing them they're going to keep pouring it out and um as they pour out their hearts you know, you're going through these concentric circles, getting closer and closer to the center of who that person is. And, um, you know, people are, people appreciate being understood. And sure. especially if they're in such a place that they don't feel like anybody can possibly understand them. Oftentimes you, you'll see somebody and say, you really look like you're, you're down today. It looks like things are, are, are just really feeling hopeless for you. They really are. They are. I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And so you know, people, people are like golf balls. <laughs> when I was a kid, my father was an avid golfer, and, and I would find some of the golf balls he had that were nicked and cut them open to see what was in the inside. And there's like 100 miles of a tightly wound rubber band around a liquid core. Well, people are like that. And, and part of what you do when, when you help them to identify and focus in on what it is they're feeling and, and what that's rooted in and, and, and how to, to deal with those feelings, it's like you're peeling away those, those rubber bands to get to the core of them and, and they're less tightly wound and, and begin to open up to feelings of peace. And, and um, you know, it's, they're, they're like pressure cookers. It's sure. Just, they, they, they need something to let that steam off. So when we think about existential pain and, um, you know, you've worked with probably thousands of patients. I think that's fair to say, Tim, yeah. in the course of your career, maybe tens of thousands. Um, yeah. When, when you, when you think about this existential pain and you, and you think about where people are when you first encounter them do you see this sort of ebb and flow over a period of time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, so it, it comes and goes, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily linear. 
Um, sometimes it is. Sometimes people will will get to the point where you know it's just kind of downhill coasting and and trying to stay comfortable and, and ahead of the pain and and um, you know I've I've said everything I need to say to to my family and my loved ones and all of that. Um, but uh, just as often it's it's um, you know one day I'm, I'm doing okay. I, I, I I'm I'm at peace with it, and the next time you see them, they're they're maybe all over the map and and you got to understand that's you know as as long as the end of life is out there at arm's length whether you're the family member or the patient there's a certain ability to distance yourself from that event but as it starts to draw closer you know anxiety levels may get higher uh fear or, or doubts or or whatever it is that they're they're dealing with so people are going to be up and down, and so if if you're if you're the average layperson, and uh, you know Uncle Henry was was doing great, he had a good attitude last week, and and then you find out that that he's freaking out. You know you got to understand that's that's normal. You know, yeah, where you are, and that's part of what you as a chaplain and the other members of the team are really attuned to, mm-hmm. and sort of again, normalizing because this week will be different than last week. And because we've, we've already worked through redefining hope. Right. Right. Um, And, and so we've got to maybe redefine it or maybe define it further, not redefine it for more, but, but we've got to, we've got to refine it. um, our, Our thoughts around that even further. So Tim, we've talked about, a lot of really fascinating things. Um, I've had, you know, so this has been such a privilege for me to be on this journey with you and so many others um, during this uh, most recent series as we explore uh, the intersection of faith, um, health, and spirituality. But, you know, I'm wondering if there is anything that you want to leave our listeners with. Um, and not because you're retiring today um, <laughs> that, you know, um, uh, but but something meaningful that you really think that that is something that we haven't talked about that that you really don't want left unsaid. A couple of things. One is um, on, a, on a sort of a lighter note. In 24 years, I have had literally thousands of people say, I wish we'd have gotten hospice involved sooner. Sure. And I've never heard one person say, I wish we'd waited. Right. So um, if, if you have an opportunity and it looks like hospice is, is in the cards for your loved one, don't put it off. The sooner that, that we can get involved, the sooner you're going to feel more supported. Um, and, and in many cases, saving you literally thousands of dollars in the cost of medications and medical equipment and things like that, as well as the sound solid support you're going to get. The other thing is that um, whatever you're going through, there's more to it than, than what you know. Hmm. Um, and what's going on is not all that's going on. All of us are wounded creatures. We all have wounds, some big, some small. Some of them have been things that have happened in our adult lives, some in our youth or childhood. And one of the things that's happened as I've counseled with uh, so many people who have very complicated grief, 
whether it's because of really traumatic situation. Uh, sometimes it's it's a very I don't know if you call it normal or not, but but uh, somebody lost a loved one, and nine months later they don't feel any different than the than the moment that it happened. Hmm. It's been my my observation that usually there's something that's screaming out to be addressed from sometime in the past. Many times um, I have had conversations with people in the counseling room and we, we start to talk about different things and it becomes apparent this is a person who has perhaps been sexually abused or physically abused, emotionally abused, or it's a person that's had multiple traumatic situations happen in their lives. Hmm. And um, uh, it's something that, that I've called the Katrina effect. When Hurricane Katrina uh, blew through New Orleans, and the, the levees collapsed, the floods came. Um, most people know that New Orleans, the whole city is below sea level. And as a result of that, you have to bury you're dead on, in above ground mausoleums or crypts and things like that. But when the floods came through, um, a lot of these bodies and caskets were washed up and, and they were appearing in the floodwaters all over. Um, here, here's the analogy. When we're young, we go through things that we're not equipped to know how to process. Sometimes there are things that we don't know what pe how people are going to react if we tell them about these events that happened to us. So we keep them to ourselves and we, in effect, try to bury those bodies. And along comes a flood. Well, that flood is the loss of my loved one. And while it may be a very significant loss or maybe one of several losses, I can't get past it part of what's happening is those little bodies that we've been burying along the way out of the traumas and the things that have happened to us, they're floating to the surface and they're demanding to be answered. Sometimes with a person who's having just uh, inconsolable grief, it's just a matter of helping them to understand that that's part of what's going on, that they're not getting past uh, ground zero. Um, and it's enough for them to understand that and they can come to terms with it. Sometimes um, it's, it's something that can be resolved with a few sessions more. Uh, oftentimes it's a matter of referring them to a very skilled therapist to help them work through that. And um, so if, if you're dealing with really, really hard grieving and you can't seem to, to get a handle on it, you know, start thinking about the things that have happened to you in your life, and, and maybe you'll find that there's there's something there. It's, it's, I guess that's my way of putting in a plug for good therapy and good grief counseling. Sure. And I think, you know, we can, I think it's fair to say that, you know, oftentimes the most difficult step is just picking up the phone to make the initial contact. Right. It is. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. It sure does. Uh, Tim, I cannot thank you enough uh, for your spending this time with me today, for um, sharing your almost quarter century of service um, with people in the most meaningful and informative way that I can think of. Um, and I, I just really appreciate 
Um, you're sharing such wonderful content and just really great education um, with me and with all of those folks who are listening. Um, you know, as we sort of sign off here, I will say um, my very best to you in retirement. Um, you, and uh, certainly we look to have you back engaged in any way you'd like um, when you come off the golf course or when you park the Winnebago or when you get done with your honey-do list. So um, thank you so very much for all your years of faithful service and for the incredibly meaningful touches that you have made in so many thousands of people's lives during that same period of time. So thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, The Intersection of Faith and Health at End of Life. This concludes this series of discussions. If you missed one of the episodes in this series, be sure to visit the resources section of www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org to access these and all previous e-series episodes. In addition, please subscribe to our channel on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts so that you'll receive notifications of future e-series podcast episodes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the e-series.